Welcome to Frontline Static, a podcast that helps bridge the gap between healthcare workers and first responders and everything in between. Today is February 2nd, and if any of you guys follow me on Instagram, you know that this is the day after three out of four of my kids' birthdays, and February 1st is just such a special day. I always just am so tearful and emotional on that day, just so happy and grateful to... um, be where I am this year and have healthy kids. And I can't believe I have a 17 year old and two 15 year olds. It's just very surreal for me. I do not feel old enough and I definitely don't feel old enough to have an adult next year, an 18 year old. So, um, I remember just spending so much of the time when they were little thinking about, I hope this gets better. I hope this gets easier. And now I'm just at a point in my life where I'm like, I want it to slow down. I'm trying to pump the brakes. I don't want them to move out or grow up or any of those things. So um, I know those of you who are parents can relate to that as well. But today I'm really excited to share with you this webinar, How to Become a Flight Nurse. Um, This is, I know, really hard for a lot of people to attend. So I wanted to be able to edit this and publish this in a um, podcast episode for you. You'll get to see a couple different things in here in this web, in this episode. You'll get to hear a little bit of how I coach my clients and how I use thought work and mindset work to prep you um, for getting into flight and how I just coach my clients in general. Um, I also talk about my one-on-one coaching that I do with my clients. And I also talk about this open enrollment that's currently going on for any nurses that want to get into flight nursing. Um, I am going to be running them through a three-month coaching program, which is 10 people that's going to be supportive, but also take them through everything they need to know from mindset prep, um, interview prep, and case scenario prep for getting into it and stepping into the new role. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and I can't wait for you to hear a little bit of coaching, and I hope that there are things that you can take away as well as some of the obstacles that you might be facing in your personal journey. Okay, uh, just some housekeeping things. I'm sure you guys heard what I said before, but I'm just going to repeat myself. Feel free to turn on your video. I'd love to see your faces. Doesn't matter to me if you're in your pajamas or your hair's a mess or whatever. Um, I'd love to see your faces if you are able to turn them on. Um, Please keep yourself muted. If you want to unmute in the portion where there's going to be questions and coaching, just go ahead and raise your hand and then I'll ask you at that time to unmute yourself. Um, so let's just get started. I, for those of you guys who don't know me or just started following me, I think probably most of you guys found me on Instagram. My name's Janessa and I've been a nurse for 12 years. The first six of that was in a med surge ICU and, um, the last six and a half seven years of that has been as a flight nurse. Uh, Like Daniel said, I just recently stepped away from flight about two weeks ago um, and I'm coaching full-time. I started doing life coaching about a year and a half ago. Um, I found it for myself. I hired my first life coach uh, when I wanted to get some help with my teenagers and parenting them. And I just found that it changed my life. It helped me with work-life balance. It helped me have less stress. It helped me um, with confidence in my job and um, my relationships in my life and time management. And so I got certified in that about a year and a half ago and decided that the people that I wanted to help were healthcare workers and first responders. So I coach people one-on-one with confidence, 
uh, leveling up, work-life balance, um, mindset work. And then I also help a portion of nurses that are trying to get into flight nursing um, and coach them in interview prep, stepping into the role and confidently accepting offers um, to get into that. So a little bit of everything with my coaching, but I specifically only help, help healthcare workers and first responders. So if you are on this call today, um, I'm going to talk about how to get into flight nursing. I think when I started it about six and a half years ago, there just wasn't a lot of information out there. There was a lot of hearsay. There was a lot of people's opinions. There wasn't a focused thing that I could go to and say, hey, this is kind of the path that you need to get on no matter where I'm at to get there. And these are the things that you need to do. And so that's really why I, I've opened my coaching to nurses because I'm, I'm helping you with the support of finding that path for you that fits you good. And then just helping disseminate this information to people so that they can get into it so that they don't let their excuses stop them themselves. So um, the way the call is going to go is I'm going to just continue to talk to you for about the next 10 minutes. And then I'm going to open it up to either any coaching that you guys want on any obstacles that you're personally facing or any questions that you have about getting there in your personal journey that you are currently right now and kind of how to bridge that gap of getting there confidently. Um, and then at the end, I'm going to do a deeper dive into what I offer with my coaching, um, either one-on-one -on -one or with this flight nurse prep group that I am currently taking enrollment for. So let's start with requirements to become a flight nurse. They're super simple, but people want to overcomplicate this a ton. And where I always say is start with the companies that you are super interested in and look at their requirements because most of these companies' requirements are three to five years of ICU or ER experience. There are caveats to this, some companies require pediatric, some companies only require one year or two year of ICU or ER. Some will require your um, pre-hospital nursing um, certification or licensure, but most are just the only requirement is that three to five years of ICU or ER. Some companies will also require your CCRN or CEN, but it looks like they are moving away from that because as soon as you get hired, you have two years to get your CFRN. So I, it's not a requirement, but what I do offer my clients is to get the CCRN or CEN. It just makes you look that much more competitive and that much better um, trying to get an interview and on your resume, but not required. So I say that because it's so simple, but people like to add this and have confusion about what's required. And so most of the problems and some of the excuses that I hear and that your brain is going to want to offer you is you're too old, you're too young, it's not the right time, I don't know enough, I need more experience. And so if if your brain has offered you any of those things, you're in the right place because I'm going to talk and address those things today. And I'm going to let you know that you don't need both ICU and ER, which I have a lot of clients come to me and say, hey, does it, will it look better if I have both? And I tell them no, because the requirements say or. Um, you don't need devices or specialty ICUs, and you don't need a level one trauma center. What you get from 
a level one ER and a rural five bed ER are very different experiences and they want both of those people. From a level one trauma, you're gonna get specialties, residents, you're gonna get a lot of um, patient diagnoses that you wouldn't get to see anywhere else. And so that's gonna make you that type of nurse that's seen a lot. In a rural bed ER, five bed, you're going to get someone who's super resourceful and knows always what to, what they need to get for their patient. And so that's going to make you a very good candidate as well. So it doesn't matter of having what level trauma ER, what level ICU or specialty ICU. I came from a med surge ICU and I had never done a balloon pump or an impella or an ECMO patient. I never had a pediatric patient. I never had trauma or pre-hospital experience and I still got hired. So um, I hope that clears up a little bit of confusion with that. Also, I hear a lot, well, it's not the right time. I, I have to um, get a couple certifications under my belt. I need a little bit more experience, but I want to offer you, it's like having a baby there. For those of you who have kids, there's just no right time. It's just the time that you make right to do it. Um, there also is no secret level of experience or years that you need to be ready. I think as nurses, we follow this very linear path where we have this like magic number in our head that once we been a nurse a year or two years, then we have enough experience. But we all know for those of us who have been nurses that you can see a nurse who's been a nurse for 25 years and they just don't have critical thinking skills. And you can also see a nurse that's been a nurse for a year and is super on top of it. And so I'm trying to help break up this belief that there's like this certain years or level of experience that you need to be able to level up and go to the next thing. So Again, if any of these are thoughts that you've had before, then you're in the right place. Coaching will help you work through these. Um, I think that also as human beings and as clinicians, we try to solve for the things by doing more things. And so what I see in my clients who are trying to get in flight is that they, they try to solve for getting more experience and going to more units and getting more certifications, but I want to offer you that it's 100% what you think and believe about yourself. And I'm going to say that a couple of times because I know that that's like a new concept for a lot of you guys on here, but it's about who you are already and focusing on that, focusing on your strengths and what you already have to offer and based on what you already know. That's what's going to get you hired. Um, and so I teach that there's four simple things that these companies are looking for. I've had um, throughout this year and a half of coaching, I've had many clients that I've helped get into flights and receive multiple offers. And these are the four things that I've taught them. One, critical thinking skills. This is really important. And most of you who work in ER and ICU, it's required for us to have it. Those are things that can't be taught. And we've already been practicing it and utilizing that. The second one is that you always get what you need for your patient. You always know what to ask for and how to push to get um, what you need, even if the intensivist or the doctor doesn't agree with you. Three, creating rapport with patients and your families. This is so important in flight because oftentimes we have 10 minutes or less to get these family members to really trust us to take the patient from point A to point B 
or we're with the patient for less than 10 minutes in the back of the ambulance on a scene call and we got to get them to trust us very quickly to put them onto this moving aircraft and get them to a higher level of care or to a trauma center. And the last one is the team player you are. These are things that we're going to focus. These are the things that you probably already possess, no matter how long you've been working in the ER or the ICU. And these are the things that I'm going to teach you as we coach together. I will also go through mindset, interview prep, panel interview prep, and clinical scenario prep, and in areas where you're weaker. What I noticed with my nursing clients trying to get into flight nursing is that almost half, sometimes three-fourths of these interviews are clinical scenarios. Paramedics and EMTs, people who've done pre-hospital, know how to do scenarios through talking through it. As nurses, we sit in these certification classes and they run through scenarios with us with a dummy and we do like real life or real people. But talking over it in an interview and talking it through is much different. So I give a lot of practice and play to my clients that way. This is really what's going to create the success for you because they're looking at your critical thinking and what you're doing next for your patient through these scenarios. And so we're going to practice medical, cardiac, trauma, um, infant, and pediatric scenarios because this is really, really what they're looking at in the interview. Also, what I notice with my ER patients where they're a little bit um, weaker is in oxygenation and ventilation. Most of my ER clients haven't really touched a ventilator very much. They've relied on the respiratory therapist to really take care of the needs of the patient. And so we're going to talk about at the simplest, simplest level what you need to know for ventilators and oxygenation. And then my ICU patients really lack pre-hospital and trauma experience and really succinct reports. I know you guys have seen the memes of differences between ER and ICU nurses where ER nurses give very quick 90 second reports and ICU nurses give the whole body system. And so I'm gonna teach um, the ICU nurses how to do these things very quickly and just um, talk about pre-hospital and trauma um, in general, because most of them haven't had experience in that. And that's totally okay. I didn't either. And I still got hired in my first interview. So um, I'm going to just reiterate the solution, which will get you the result of getting hired and multiple offers are your thoughts. It's completely what you believe about yourself, because I believe that whatever we're thinking going into interview, the client, the flight companies will be thinking about you in the interview that way. So for example, if you go in with, I don't have enough experience, I don't know what I'm doing, then that's what the flight companies are going to think as well during the interview and after the interview. But what you believe about yourself will get you the result of being hired. So for example, if you go in thinking, I know enough, I have what it takes, I'm a hard worker, even if you don't say that to them, they're going to feel that from you. And that's going to be the difference of you getting hired or you not getting hired. So I'm going to say it again. I know you guys all think it's how we get there, but I'm going to talk to you about who you have to be um, to get hired and through this interview process. So I want to start out with a little story. Um, and it was about three, maybe four years of doing flight nursing. Um, I had this accident. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I don't know. We always remember the early morning calls the most, but it's about three o'clock in the morning. Um, we took off. I had looked at my phone to see how close the accident was to us. And it was only um, six minutes away. 
And so I thought, oh, we're going to get canceled from this because we have a level one trauma center that's very close to our base. I'm like, we're going to get canceled from this. There's no way they're going to just take the patient there. So we landed at scene and I thought, oh, we're landing. That means that it is really bad. And I opened the doors to the ambulance and there was this child. I don't know about how old, maybe three or four years old, completely like limp and lifeless. My partner and I scooped the patient up. We got in the helicopter. We did all kinds of things. I can't remember if like some of them were before, but most of them were just taking the patient and going. And um, in that course of time, I remember thinking to myself, we got six minutes to get this together. We got six minutes from the time that we take off to the time that we land at the level one trauma pad to figure this out. And in that six minutes, we placed two lines, we started fluid, we RSI, we intubated the patient, we needled both chests. And I remember landing on the pad thinking, I can't believe we did all that. And I also remember my thought was, after that, this job is meant for me. And Maybe you guys have had moments like this in your career so far where you realize like we do heroic heroic things in a job where some people, it's just not humanly possible. We do things in our job where some people will never experience it and they're never going to see it. And I think about that moment a lot because that's what took me back. That's what kept me grounded was that this job was meant for me. And so I want to offer the same for you guys. What would you do if you believed that this is what you were meant to do? What would you think of your excuses then? And if you don't believe that this job is meant to me, that's what I kind of want to coach on today. Or the thoughts that are holding you back from believing that. And like I said before, this is really the difference between no offers and multiple offers. I teach my clients that you are picking them. They are not picking you. And I think a lot of people go into this flight interview prep thinking, oh, I hope they pick me. But I'm going to help you think and get to the thought that you are picking them. They're not picking you in this process. And so um, after this, um, I'm going to give an opportunity at the end to talk even deeper about what I offer in my coaching for you guys um, and how I can get my clients there no matter what stage of nursing that they're in. Um, but right now I want to open it up till about 9.45, a quarter till, uh, 9.45 Pacific Standard Time. I know some of you guys are other places. So a quarter till the hour um, to coach and open it up for any questions that you're having. If you can turn on your camera, that would be great. Um, just raise your hand and then I'll ask you to unmute yourself. But I'll repeat what I had just said after the story is what would you do if you believed that this were meant, that you were meant to do this? And what would you think of your excuses then? And if you don't believe this is job, this job is meant for me, I want to coach on that. Or what is the thoughts that are holding you back from believing that? And we're going to go to about a quarter till. So um, I know there's only five of you guys here. So I would love to be able to reach all five of you guys. If you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat box as box as well, if you don't want to come on. So I'm going to go ahead and open it up.
and it's such a small group. So don't feel like you even have to raise your hand. Just come off of mute and I'll answer any of your questions or coach you on anything that's coming up for you. I think um, my thought is, Janessa, that it's probably that we, on this side of it, we don't know what we don't know. And so, you know, I'm sure you find that like very often. We see the minimum job requirements and like this type of people, we're like, no, what? we don't want to do the minimum. <laughs> you know, we, we want ICU and ER. Yeah. We want level one and rural. Um, we want all the certifications before we get there. Um, yeah. And maybe we can get EMT paramedic on the way. You know, like we really want, it's funny because what you and other flight nurses have told me is really those aren't the things that make a good flight nurse. Um, and so I think that's one of the things for me, you know, like someone asked me the other day, I, you know, I'm transferring from um, surgical trauma to narrow now just to take a little bit of a, a break for a little bit. Yeah. And um, never would have anticipated that when you and I talked a year ago. Yeah. Um, like a slower paced ICU. Um, but, you know, each journey is, is different. I think like you've told me before. And um, I think it's kind of what we make of it and that it's typically down to the person more so. Um, You know, someone asked me the other day, they're like, what do you want to do next? I'm like, well, I have like three or four jobs I want to do before I want to, you know, try to get into flight. But those are some of my thoughts though. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that. Let, let me ask you first, like, why are you wanting to take it? You said, I'm going to go to neuro ICU because I'm wanting to take another break. So tell me what's behind that. Yeah, I'm, um, I mean, I'm on a unit that's uh, pretty, pretty intense. Um, it's a hospital with a really unique culture. Our, our travelers come to our hospital and they say, I've, you know, never been to a hospital where we do art sticks or where nurses do this and that. Okay. And we have a lot more, usually people say autonomy, um, yeah. you know, when they, when they come to our hospital. And so um, it's, it's, it can be very tasky. Our ICU is like the ER of the ICUs yeah. um, contributes to more organ donations than any unit in the state. Um, it's just, it's busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of death frequently, which I know is pretty normal for an ICU, but um, and then I also had a personal loss, you know, one of my friends, um, actually, uh, was found down in our break room, um, about mm-hmm. a month ago mm-hmm. and that was really hard on everyone too. But so there was that, but then there's also been leadership issues for mm-hmm. a while, which has created stress. And it's kind of like, do your job with your hands tied and your eyes blindfolded. You know what I mean? It's so, yeah. I was like, you know what? I love this place, but I think I want a change for a little bit to try something different, get used to changing jobs, get used to a different area. I'm staying within the same healthcare system. So, yep. and let me ask you, Daniel, how much longer do you have before you meet the requirements for the companies you're looking for? I think you and one other nurse have told me to apply it about six months prior to getting three years experience. So that'll be about a year for me. Okay. So in one year, you'll be six months shy. You'll yeah. Be in one year, I'll have two and a half years experience. Yeah. Okay, great. 
Um, okay. I want to go back to the thought that you had. We don't know what we don't know. Tell me about that. Well, I don't know if this thought transfers, but, um, I can be pretty critical of like nurse practitioners who don't get a lot of nursing experience before they go to being providers. And I almost place that same thought on myself, I think, before going into a flight role. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know flight nurses are like an extension of the medical director, right? But still, I mean, the level of independence and decision-making is quite different from bedside nursing. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's part of it is, okay. you know, the thought that um, maybe with that, I'll have to rely on my past experiences, you know, so, you know, get experience with like devices now, do, do CV, do cervical trauma, do burn, do, you know, yeah. um, go, to, go to ER though, and get your initial recognition skills down your IV, you know, all those. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting though, is that most of us who've gotten into ICU, and I'm sure you felt like this too, it's like, you didn't know what to expect to be an ICU nurse, but you still took it on. Mm-hmm. So what was the thoughts that you were thinking going into the ICU after nursing school? Cause you did that right after nursing school. I, I did that right after nursing school and I had spent nine months in the ER. And so for me, it was kind of like, um, eat your vegetables kind of thing. Like, um, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, <laughs> I had flight in the back of my mind and I was like, uh, let's just do ICU anyway. I like to nerd out on different topics anyway. And I kind of want that knowledge base. Yeah. Um, so, and then I ended up falling in love with that. And now as I float down to the ER, um, it's funny getting used to the, um, like patient turnover and short reports is the, is the stretching thing now. So, yeah. But what if you could take yourself back to the, you who just did that out of nursing school and was like, Hey, I know the ICU is this thing, but I can do it. Even though I don't know it yet. That's the same as flight. It's like, I know it's like this thing up here. And I haven't experienced it. I don't know what I don't know yet, but I can still take it on. Yeah. And I want to talk about this, like, we don't know what we don't know. Tell me what we don't know. Tell me what those things are. <laughs> all the patients we haven't seen, <laughs> all the different areas, um, you know, all the different things that are unique to the the base that eventually we'll, we'll get onto, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you do in situations like that where, and I'm sure even in the ICU, there's been patients that you haven't seen before. What do you do in those situations? <clears throat> I ask people around me all the time. Okay. I ask so questions. I mean, I have, you know, we have all the disciplines there, like at our fingertips. I have nurses who have been there for, you know, a few for 20 years. And I'm like, hey, have you ever seen a patient like this? Like, you know, what could these lab values mean? Like, are you concerned about that? You know, what else do you do? Um, so I rely on the experience of other nurses, other professionals, um, and then um, rely on my gut, you know. Um, rely on your I what? Rely on my gut. You yeah. know, I've seen and past experience um, now, which is, um, which is short, but there, um, you know, we, you've been a nurse for a year, even three months, six months, you know, when to report an abnormal. So yes. that's, that's what we do. 
<laughs> what if I had to offer you that flight nurses do all these same things? We mm -hmm. ask questions. We have the disciplines that are there, both at the sending and the receiving and our medical mm -hmm. director, our base hospital. We can ask other nurses. We can ask other nurses at the receiving or the sending. Um, what do these lab values mean? We can ask them as well, either with our partner or with our medical director. Um, mm -hmm. We rely on the experience of other nurses and professionals. We really have to rely on them and work as a team. And then biggest thing on this list is we rely on our gut. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. What comes <laughs> up for you when I say it like that? So that's new to me. Um, and that's awesome. Like, I, I think I was aware that, you know, you could reach out to the medical director, but I, I don't know what kind of rapport, what the vibe is with, with your um with your program if it's um if it's welcomed if it's um you know i know typically it's almost like you know a resident reaching out to their attending it's like ooh, scary i shouldn't do yeah. it or something like that you know what what's I mean? like but the thought I, that I you've had that's like to reach out to people <laughs> yeah what's the thought that you've had that's prevented you from like being gung-ho about reaching out I, I mean i reach out a lot it's fun i thought i thought at this point i would talk to my providers less. I'm talking to them just as much as I was yeah. before yeah. because I still have so many questions and I have so much to learn still, it feels like. Um, so, I mean, I think I would probably be the fight nurse who might reach out to the medical director a good bit, yeah. so. Yeah, and what if that's okay? Yeah, that's, that's fine. And I didn't, um, I mean, I don't know. I think I would probably tend to go with whatever the, whatever my, you know, medic is probably saying too, because I'd probably rely on the medic a good bit. And I didn't know that was new information to me that you could talk to the nurses at the, um, well, okay, re receiving facility, I get, but I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, you still have a lot of thought resources. About it and, and what I see, like, in a lot of my clients is that they think like there's this magical thing <laughs> like we step into flight and then we know all of these things but it's mm -hmm. not any better here than it is before you get there the same thoughts still transpire the same thought of like we don't know what we don't know happens and we do all those things that you do currently in your current job and then it's just also like this level of confidence that and having your own back that you have very quickly have to have and very quickly have to learn. I think you get that level of autonomy, right? In the ER and the ICU and the critical thinking that you have to do. But then when you get into flight, it's also like you don't have someone to turn to and be like, is this, am I making the right decision? You have to have your own back at a certain level. And that just kind of takes like a leap of faith and trust in yourself in a way that you don't really have to do that in the hospital. But that's also like the exciting part of it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so very common to have this thought, we don't know what we don't know. But as flight nurses, we don't know what we don't know either. Yeah. Whether we've been I, doing it for one year or 25 years. I hope it's something I'll enjoy. Like, I, I think I'll enjoy it. But one of the things I love about ICU, what I get to do now is I get to like I have like sought out all these classes and different mentors and just like building up a knowledge base as a new nurse to really bring that information to help my patients, you know, to let them know, Hey, what they can expect and that kind of thing. And that's what I, 
kind of love about my current job is that, you know, we can use this knowledge base to help them. Whereas, um, like I heard someone on your podcast recently, um, at the time that the podcast recorded, you had two people on there and what they had were just a few months into their orientations. I think yeah. mm-hmm. one of them, one of them said something, um, Oh, what was it? Um, I just lost my thought. That's okay. We can come back to it. Yeah, I'm gonna. It, it'll it'll come back to me. But... What's interesting about that is that the nurses that I coach into flight, oftentimes they're staying with me because I'm helping them step into the role too confidently. Mm-hmm. And these thoughts that they had before they're still having after getting hired. Mm-hmm. And so it's really like taking the time to work through them now, because what I want to offer to you is that those like doubts are going to continue to follow you in your whole career, no matter where you are or how much experience that you have. Um, and so kind of like taking the opportunity to dissect it and work through it now is what is going to give you success the whole way. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I could, yeah, I could totally see that. Um, when I started in the ICU, some of my like thought processes that I needed to tone down, um, instead of maybe vamp up were, um, you know, I, I came in overconfident and people were concerned, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh, dang it. I'm that typical male in the ICU. <laughs> so, and I didn't think I would be, um, but <laughs> yeah, it's, so yeah, I can, I can still see do. some of that. This is what we do is, is, is we pull apart, you know, what you lack, what you think that you don't know. And we talk about, but what is it that you do know? And so like, I just want to take a moment to talk about that with you because as humans, our brain goes to all the evidence of the negative things for us, like where we're lacking, what we don't know. So I just want to take a moment for you to talk about what you do know. And you mentioned a few things to me already to get you started, which was I take what I learn and then I recycle it back through so that I can educate and tell my patient. So tell me what are the things that you do know? Um, the things that I know, can, can you be more specific? <laughs> yeah. Tell me what things make you great as an ICU nurse? Um, Well, honestly, sometimes it's not comforting uh, the patient so much because they might be intubated and sedated. It's giving the family an idea of, hey, what's next, what what they're waiting on. I think a lot of times if you're just coming in, like you have this, so for, for context, I work at a level one trauma center on a surgical trauma ICU, 40 bed ICU, Um, it's, mostly it's like 80% trauma, 20% surgical. And a lot of our patients are like neurotraumas. They're, they're TBIs and spinal cord injuries. And so a lot of them are, you know, waiting for like brain death testing or, um, you know, uh, a prolonged vent wean, um, these kind of things. And so if this is like these initial tragedies are, are, are happening and this, family may have never, like a lot of these patients are in their twenties, like they're young, they might be healthy. Um, you know, these, these family members have never been, 
you know, or they might be going to the hospital for themselves or their do own doctor's appointments, but they're, they've never been in a situation yeah. like this. And yeah. so, um, you know, the doctor's giving them information and they step out of the room and, you know, mo most of the family members are absorbing, you know, they're, they're kind of comprehending, but a lot of them really are, they're, they're reeling, you know, like if you've ever had a personal tragedy and, um, what was really personal for me was actually experiencing this tragedy of my friend, um, you know, being found, you know, pulseless, cold and blue in our break room. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it gave me a better perspective on what these family members are going through too. Cause yeah. you know, the, the benefit that we have as ICU nurses is we, um, we, we don't know that person. Mm -hmm. So that, there's that level of humanness that's kind of like taken away. We can be a little impersonal yeah. and it allows us to do our jobs and stay emotionally disconnected so that we can, you know, empathize with the family. So I think one way that I'm a good ICU nurse is that I really like to empathize with the family, okay. um, give them kind of their bearings for what to expect next, how long that could take realistically. Yeah. Um, how long I would really like it to take for them, yeah. <laughs> you know, even though that's not always the case. Um, and yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't mean to hog the empathizing call. with family. Yeah. What else are you yeah. good at? Because somewhere down the line, like I think that little piece that you got at the beginning of your ICU experience of you came in too confident really shut you down from knowing what you're really good at and being proud of it. And this is the you that we got to tap I into. No, I have, I have, I think I have a healthy ego. <laughs> okay, great. Bring me your ego right now. Bring me your confidence. What is it that you're, that you do know, and you're really good at? Besides giving the family an idea of what's ha happening and empathizing with them. Um, I pay attention to details that others might not. Um, you know, I, I come in and our, like our unit is super sloppy at like lead placement. Um, you know, and if I come in and I have a nurse sitting with me, I'm like, what is, what is correct lead placement? Like, do you know the brown leads should be at fourth intercostal space right at the sternum? Like it's a right-sided lead. Like you should probably like, you're not gonna Like Phillips monitors already suck. Like you should have your leads on correctly just to, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. I kind of go back to the basics with a lot of things and like, you okay. know, I'm like, is anyone else looking at the QTC? Like, you know, he's on like three meds that could prolong QTC and like we're already had a six run of VTAC. Like, why don't we like, you know? Okay. What else, what else do you know? What else are you good at? Um, I might be good at some hands-on skills that other that others aren't. Um, like I did have a lot of time, like I mean IV placement, um, like using the ultrasound to get IVs. Um, and I think maybe asking the doctors for questions for things that like okay. others might not like. I know. think this is where your work's gonna be. Is, They'll be like, you know, give, give a liter of this or give half a liter of this, or, you know, give that med. I'm like, have you like, have you checked the IBC? Like, have we done a dependent like raise? Like, why are you? Yeah. You know, like, so for example, like our, you know, relies on stroke volume variants, like a lot. 
yeah it's either that or pocus for fluid resus and i'm like well like let's get more information let's like yeah. i'm a little mick you and our sick you <laughs> you know what i mean okay i'm gonna read these back to you okay okay and then i'm gonna ask you a question for you to think about i asked you what you're what you know and what you're good at you said giving the family an idea of what's happening better perspective on what families are going through i can empathize with the family i pay attention to details that others might not know i go back to the basics of things i'm i have used my hands-on skills and i'm good at asking doctors for questions mm -hmm. what do you have to believe about yourself that you do know exactly what to do what do you mean in any situation. What do I have to believe? Yeah, what, if, I do what do you know? have to believe about yourself that you do know what you don't know? Rephrase that for me. <laughs> what do you have to believe about yourself that even if you don't know, and you haven't seen something that you're going to figure it out? Um, like that I know the questions to ask and that I know the things to look at. Is that like, is that what you're getting at? Like, what is it that you believe and know about yourself that you're going to always figure it out? What is it that you have to believe about yourself? I mean, I feel very confident in what I do know and what I don't know. So if I don't know something, I'm pretty confident about like trying to get the answer. Okay. Cause I'm going back to this thought. We don't know what we don't know, but you do know that. You do know what you know. And like you just said right now, I'm confident that I'll figure it out or I know the answer. And maybe that's your thought for you to think about and work on. Mm -hmm. I'm confident that I do know that I do know what to do mm -hmm. or I'll find the answer. Because it's not a problem that your brain's wanting to offer you. I need ICU. I need ER. I don't know what I don't know. That's like not a problem. We just have to remind it that I'm confident that I do know. And I know all these things. And these things that you listed to me right here are the things you want to talk about in your interview. Because mm -hmm. these are the things that are going to stand you apart. And these are the specifics that you're going to want to give them. Because these are your strengths right here. So it doesn't even matter that you don't know what you don't know. It doesn't matter that you haven't seen all of the devices or worked both because you have these things and these are the things you want to highlight. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I just remembered that thought in that interview um, that flight nurse mentioned, like she was asking other nurses questions and they're like, I don't know. And you don't need, like, you don't need to ask that. I get told that all the time. <laughs> it bothers me so much. Nurses are like, oh, you don't have to know this and you don't have to know that. I'm like no I like I, I do have to know I yeah. do have to understand yeah. like, and I just <laughs> want to offer you you don't have to believe them that you don't know yeah that you don't need to ask them you don't have to believe that you can just believe that it is necessary to ask them so I think like yeah. a part of you is just like learning to have your own back in, in a lot of these situations and knowing confidently like it's okay that I'm asking those questions and I'm not going to believe them when they say you don't need to know that mm -hmm. yeah yeah Cause I don't, I don't believe this. Yeah. <laughs> does that feel complete for you, Daniel? Yes, it does. Yeah. That was helpful. Thank you. Okay, good. Remember your thought is I'm confident in what I do know. Mm -hmm. It's not a problem. Your brain's going to want to offer you this. We don't know what we don't know. And I need this and I need to do that. Like, that's just what your brain is giving you. And it's going to be different flavors of that for you, especially as you're prepping for flight. 
but I just mm. want to offer you to answer it back with, I'm confident in what I do know. And remember those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Who else would like coaching or questions? Doesn't matter where you are in this process into flight, whether it's pre-nursing, nursing, whatever it is. I know all of you guys are here because you have some burning questions. So now's your time to ask me. Um, I can go about six more minutes too. Or put I'm just wondering if you could speak to hi to um like the training for flight nursing um again going along with you don't know what you don't know yeah uh, I've never worked with peds or you know things like that um what would the training be like because I'm assuming we won't just be thrown in um, yeah. so we will get some training to learn some more things that we don't know yeah of course every company is very different in how they do their training but most of them will do like a week long or two weeks long um indoctrination or orientation um it just depends on company to company but they will offer you all of that training you're going to get faa training too as far as what you need to know for flight mm -hmm. um but they're also going to offer education in that as well especially for most programs intubation is a part of it and so mm -hmm. I had never intubated a patient before I'd never done pre-hospital so learning to do it pediatric and adult was just like a lots of new skills that you learn but they give you all of that hands-on training during it and and in it um so I know that's a lot of people's fears especially people who haven't ever seen it before I had never had a pediatric patient before yeah. but um you get everything that you need to know and then you remember also you have your protocols like mm -hmm. you have a big book of protocols you follow you have your medical director you have um all the people that you work with whether it's a base lead um or another flight nurse and then you always have your partner and I love most of these programs because they're merged with a flight medic and a flight nurse. And so you, you have this partnership that's so great because you have flight paramedics who have the same amount of experience that, that we have, but mm -hmm. on the ground level. And so they're, they're experts in the pre-hospital and the trauma. And then you have us who are experts in the hospital and you're never alone. And so I think people think we make these big high decisions um, in this job, but it's like, like I talked about with Daniel, you have all these resources that are at your fingertips still, and you have your partner who's going to be able to offer you that as well. Thank you. Did that answer your question? Yes. Thank okay. You. Yeah. I mean, I had no pediatric experience either. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you, you know, you really rely on those four things. Like I talked about at the beginning, your critical thinking skills that like, no matter what the patient size is or adult, infant, child, pediatric, like, you know what to do. You know, the ABCs, you know how to get that patient to the next higher level of care. And you know, in that moment, what's the best thing for them. Okay, great question. Thank you. Do you have any other questions for me? Okay. It's like a big thing worrying about, um, we will be responsible, but there is help. I, I also didn't know you could like contact a medical 
uh, director and you have other people? Yeah, you, everybody has their own medical director. You have usually education that you can contact or a clinical director you can contact. You also have your base hospital in your area that you can radio over. Um, and then I heavily rely for my transfers on the um, sending physician staff. Mm -hmm. And then also you can call the receiving physician. So you have lots of different resources. And then I think just the key is remembering you're not alone. That's why you have a partner, whether it's a paramedic or whether it's a nurse, like you have that ability to know what to do with that person and kind of talk through it and feel confident about the decision that you're making. Um, okay. Someone asked, do you put in your own orders or do you follow standing orders? So um, we don't put in our own orders. We run by protocol. So most companies have a big, long protocol book, um, whether it's electronic or whether it's paper and you can, um, like for example, RSI or intubate a patient based on those protocols. And so you follow those protocols. Um, but also if there is an order that we need that is not in that book, you still follow similar to what we do in the hospital. I can call my medical director. I can call base hospital, like I said, or I can ask the sending physician. There's been many times that I've showed up at hospitals where the patient's intubated with no sedation and they're trying to write or talk to you. And so like in those moments, of course, I'm gonna ask the sending doctor, hey, I, I really need some propofol and fentanyl for this one hour flight. And so um, most places are just very willing to give that to you because they, they want you to take that patient quickly to a higher level of care. So, um, being able to get the orders, you can ask for those um, and get them either over the phone from your medical director or from the receiving doctor, just many ways of being able to get the orders, but you have a wider variety and a bigger book of protocols to be able to work through for that. Great question. Anyone else have any questions for me? Janessa, does it take a long time when you're like waiting for those orders? Like, does no. it take a while to contact? that receiving facility physician? No, um, usually we have, or your dispatch will give you that number or you can look it up. But if it does take a long time, you can always call your medical director because you'll always have a direct number mm -hmm. for them um, or an on-call doctor through your flight company that will be able to offer you quick advice and services. And it's, I found it to be very collaborative. It's like, they mm -hmm. know that you are in a time crunch and they know you need to get what you need. So I've often used that medical director to help me facilitate a conversation too, that I've had with a sending doctor where maybe we're not necessarily in agreement of it. Like for example, if I had a patient, they were taking them on BiPAP and I'm like, this patient is not going to be able to sit up at the degree that they need to sit up at the FIO2 of 100%, we need to intubate this patient so that we can safely transport them and get them there with the correct oxygenation. Um, so let's say like they didn't agree with that, your medical director will help facilitate that conversation as well with the physician. Um, someone else asked, a job listing says 24 hour week shift. What does that mean? Are you on call for 24 hours straight or are you on a base for 24 hours straight? Um, every company is different. The company I worked for um, full-time was two 24-hour shifts a week. I had the best schedule. I worked one 24-hour on, one 24-hour off, and then the second one on, and then I had five days off in a row. So the schedule is pretty sweet, especially when you move to 24-hour shifts. It is kind of um, hard to get used to as a nurse 
who's only done 12 hours, uh, the flight paramedics have an easier time with that because they've already been working 24, 48 hour shifts. But that is what I love about the job. Having five days off and five days off in a row was so nice. Um, my company, we lived at the base. And so you lived there, you're on call. Um, we did a lot of predominantly 911 dispatched out. So we would be dispatched out um, multiple times depending on what was needed. Um, but some companies do offer like an on-call where you don't have to necessarily be at the base. Everybody's a little bit different as far as their scheduling, but, uh, 24 hour shifts are pretty sweet. How much, um, scene call versus <clears throat> interfacility? I think it really depends on the company that, that you're working for and the area that you're serving. Um, there's a lot of ag, a lot of water accidents, a lot of skiing accidents, a lot of traffic accidents, gang stabbings, gunshots, um, in the area that I lived in. So that's what a lot of the 911 calls look like, but sometimes you're in more of a rural area where you're just not getting a lot of 911 and it's really just transferring out and to other hospitals. But I actually loved the transfers because I'm an ICU nurse. And so I loved the complexity of like figuring out their hemodynamics and ventilator settings and all of that. So it just kind of depends on your area and your program and how many other companies are kind of infringing in that area too. Um, how many calls you're going to get in a 24 hour period. Anybody else have any quick questions that I can answer for you? Okay. At this point, um, if any of you guys are wanting to take this on a deeper level, um, I do offer one-on-one -on -one sessions for people who aren't nurses yet and who are trying to kind of bridge the gap of where they are and how to get to flight. I work with people who are doing prerequisites, people who are in nursing school, people who are in med surge trying to move to ER, ICU, um, or confidently stepping into those roles, and people who are prepping for it. I am currently in an enrollment. I'm taking 10 people 10 nurses who have either had one year of ER or ICU experience. And I'm gonna teach them all of these things that we talked about today, but with ease and less stress in a simple format that's gonna be fun. It's not gonna be like we get on the weekly calls together and there's gonna be PowerPoints, like certifications you've been through. We're gonna coach on like mindset, obstacles that are coming up for you, but we're also gonna talk about um, the panel interviews. We're gonna go through all the case scenarios. We're gonna work on if you're ER, oxygenation, ventilation, if you're ICU, pre-hospital and trauma. Um, and this is gonna be over the course of 60 minutes every week, every Wednesday um, together over Zoom. If you miss those recordings, I am going to be emailing them out on a weekly basis. And also the people in this group and who coach with me one-on-one -on -one, um, get support from the WhatsApp and I answer them through that as well and unlimited support through through um, email as well. So if you're interested in that, I'm actually going to be putting my links up here right now for you guys over the chat box. Um, the first one is if you're interested in the flight group, these consults are free. I can kind of talk about where you are now and um, what it's going to offer you. And then the next one I'm going to send you is just my one-on-one -on -one coaching. So that's where we meet one-on-one -on -one weekly as well for 12 sessions. And so these are both um, links to book a consult with me and kind of talk about individually if this group is great for you or if it's a good fit for you or one-on-one -on coaching would be a good fit for you to get you where you want to be. 
Um, I am for the five of you guys that are on today going to offer a bonus. If you sign up with a consult with me and you book um, working with me for one-on-one -on -one session, you're going to get one additional one-on-one -on -one session with me. So instead of 12, you'll get 13. And then if you book a consult and come into my group um, today, then you're also going to get a one-on-one -on -one free session with me that we can strategize kind of where you are, where you are in, um, where you're going to be in the group and um, personally, individually, um, how you're going to get the most out of it and what kind of goals we can make together so that you can get some success. You can use that one-on-one -on -one bonus um, if you do the group anytime throughout the group together. Um, we are going to start March 1st on Wednesdays. It's going to be from 10 to 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, and it's going to go until May 31st. So at this point, I'm going to stay on for anyone um, who wants to sign up for a consult or who has any extra questions for me. I can book a consult directly right here with you right now. And um, someone did ask, do you talk about pricing in the consult? I definitely do. Um, I talk about everything that's kind of offered. You can see if it's a good fit for you or not. And then um, I talk about the pricing during the consult as well. Um, so all of those questions will get asked for you, answered for you. Um, at this point, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate you being here. I hope that you got a little bit out of this. Um, and I hope there's something that you'll be able to take away from it. And for now, I'm going to stay on with anyone who would directly like to book or who has any questions for me. Thanks for coming, guys. If you're excited to find out more and you want to take a deeper dive in coaching for yourself, that's either going to help you bridge the gap of getting to flight or just gaining more confidence in what you're doing or creating more work-life balance for yourself, book a consult with me and you can find out what is involved in my one-on-one -on -one coaching. And if you have been a nurse for at least a year and worked in ER or ICU, you don't want to miss being a part of enrolling in this three-month flight nurse prep group. It is going to be so supportive and so fun. And I promise you're going to look forward to getting together every week to overcome some of the obstacles and mindset work that you're facing. And I promise that you are going to enjoy being able to think about getting into a flight in a simplified and clear manner. And it's going to be so doable and easy for you. So if you're interested in this, you know where to find me on Instagram, book a consult for this flight nurse group. And I can't wait to see you guys inside.